for his glory and for our benefit is the theme of our series through 1 John. I love what's great about this is we are seeking to strive to glorify God in his great name and everything that we do. And at the same time, God is seeking to benefit us. Don't you love that relationship? We glorify him, he benefits us. And you'll find that in 1 John is we're seeking to glorify him and he's benefiting our souls by the blessings that he gives us. And we'll find more today through the book of 1 John. Last week, we started a lesson we called The Antidote to the Antichrist. And we're going to continue that series today. The Antidote to the Antichrist, we're going to look at part two. Because John continues on in his discourse about the Antichrist. The verses we're going to be looking at today are verses 21 to 25. 1 John 2, verses 21 to 25. We'll get to the text here in a little bit. But did you ever get a cheap knockoff? Come on, think about it. Did you ever get a cheap knockoff? Who are frugal people out there? You kind of want to experience... You're pointing at your husband and rolling your eyes. I, I like the cheap knockoffs to some degree. Now, we're going to look at some cheap knockoffs today that are, that are pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. These, these are the worst knockoffs that I found, okay? Cheap knockoffs are all around us. What basically is happening is that the companies are trying to look like the actual real deal company but, you know, allowing you to pay a little bit less with a similar experience. At least that's what they're going for. I'm actually going to show you some pictures today of some bad knockoffs I found. Now, let's start with, with I don't know what your favorite sweet treat is, but a lot of people love this cookie called Oreos, right? Oreos are a fan. My family is a big fan of Oreos. And uh, Oreos are great. But sometimes they have the double stuff. Sometimes they have even more than the double stuff. You seen that? It's like basically a mile of cream in between. <laughs> Well, if you're trying to make Oreos, but you don't want to get sued, you have to come up with some creative ways to sell your product and call it something different. So this is what I found online. I would love to be at the think tank meeting where this happened, where a bunch of people are sitting around a table going, well, we can't call it Oreos. They'll sue us. Well, tell us what it is. Well, it's basically a cookie with cream between. Stop right there. You have your answer. Just call it that. Cream betweens? Call it cream betweens. There'll be no confusion. The one on the right, though, what's going on there? I don't know exactly what's happening. It's an Oreo knockoff simply called Dude. I don't know exactly where you get the dude, but uh, if you can find one, let me know. That looks, that looks interesting. How about this now? Superheroes are all the rage in our culture, and my, my kids, again, love superheroes. Everyone's got their favorite superhero. Well, I found a couple knockoff superheroes. As you might expect, there's a knockoff everything these days. We got <laughs> special man. I'm not exactly sure what his superpower is, but he's special. <laughs> and on the right, we have the incredible fella. That didn't take a lot of brain right there. That's incredible Hulk, no, incredible fella. And don't pay attention to this part up here, the Revengers endless tussle. You gotta love what's going on in these think tanks, uh, knockoff brands. I'm not sure there's actually any thinking going on. Just put put it up there, make it look similar. How about this one? <laughs> Growing up, we wanted Nikes. Nikes were a little pricey, so a couple brands said, "We got you covered." It's like Nike, but we're gonna call it Hike or Hikey, and Mike or Mikey. I'm not sure which it is, but um, look at the little swoosh. It has a little spiky. <laughs> what would that be? Even the swoosh can't look the same. But I, my recommendation to you is do not go hiking in the hikies. Okay, that's not going to go well. But if you want to save a little money, there's a couple options for you. How about designer brands? Anyone like the designer brands out there? They got designer brand knockoffs, okay? 
ones that you don't have to pay a lot for, but you can still look pretty cool. Um, now, you guys, we live in the North Country, where North Face is kind of a big deal up here. Well, if you don't have the money for North Face, just buy the huge mountain. Once again, what's the brainstorm behind that? Ah, oh, they're just hiking up a huge mountain. Just call it what it is. And then over here, you got Gucci with a Y. No one's going to notice that difference. <laughs> it's the same, right? It's the same, just a lot, lot less of your money. How about this one? Now, perfumes and colognes, they're really expensive. You can drop like $100 a bottle for some of these perfumes, but not if you get the knockoff. If you get the knockoff, it's significantly less if you're okay with these. Um, we got Bass by Hugo Boss. I'm guessing it smells like fish. If that's a good smell for you. And then we simply have, instead of CK, Calvin Klein, we have, it's okay. And it probably is okay. It's probably nothing special. It's probably okay. If you're willing to pay five bucks for okay, you'll smell okay. How about this one? Um, now, toiletries. Toiletries typically aren't that pricey, but they add up, don't they? Because you have to keep buying them. So, so the toiletry brands have also have some knockoffs for us. I'm not sure how I feel about these two. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you to save your money on these two, okay? Crust, toothpaste, and then when you're going to the shower, you grab your Dave bar. Uh, I save your money on those two. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but I'd love to be at these brainstorming meetings where they come up with the Dave bar and crust toothpaste. Now, we all like coffee. Coffee is kind of called the Christian drug. Wait, we all like our coffee, but coffee, too, is getting really pricey. You go to Starbucks, you're going to need to take out a personal loan, but not with these brands. These brands, you'll save your money as long as you're okay drinking the donkey donuts. <laughs> but they're all the rage now, aren't they? You see a donkey donuts on every, every exit now. And Sunbucks coffee? Now, I actually don't mind the name Sunbucks. It's close, but what's going on with this creature right here? Yeah, avoid that at all costs. Donkey Donuts and Sunbucks. Now, as you know, if you've gotten to know me at all, I use an old device called a BlackBerry. It's, it's a device many of you have never even heard of probably, but I use it because it has a physical keyboard. Wouldn't you know they even knocked off the BlackBerry? They did. Look at this. I don't even know if you could see that, but the one on the left says Blueberry. They're trying. It's the same kind of family. And then the one on the right is Black Burly. As long as you don't look close, you're in the same family. So if anyone's looking for a Christmas idea for me, jump on that. <laughs> Find me the blueberry or the black burly. Now, did you even know there's knockoff people out there? Knockoff people are even around. You ever Google yourself? I mean, if you're honest, has anyone ever Googled themselves just to see what's out there? My sister's nodding. Maybe it's just a walker thing. Jamie Rose, you've Googled yourself? Well, the other day I Googled myself and I found some Todd Walker knockoffs. One played for the Red Sox. Does anybody know this guy, Todd Walker? That's right. You guys used to know the real Todd Walker. And then we got some guy who played hockey for the something Royals over there. Uh, cheap knockoff Todd Walkers are out there as well. And in fact, these guys are probably way more successful than I am, but we're going to call them knockoffs. Now, my favorite, I saved my favorite for last because um, one of our favorite things is to eat butter. Uh, we love butter. Butter goes with everything. Butter is one of those things you find in almost everything you make. So... A few years ago, a company decided to make a butter substitute, okay? And a butter substitute was kind of the same thing, but it was a lot less calories, a lot less cholesterol, and it tasted kind of similar. You guys have probably heard of it. It was called, I can't believe, 
it's not butter, okay? And I, I get the concept of it. It's like, it's kind of like butter. And in fact, it tastes so much like butter, you won't believe it's not butter. I get the concept here. But then some companies decided to knock off, I can't believe it's not butter, with some of their own renditions. And I found these two. <laughs> these are my absolute favorite. The one on the left says, could it be butter? Your guess is as good as ours. You taste it and let us know. What does it taste like? Could it be butter? And then my absolute favorite came from a, a grocery store in Michigan called Butter It's Not, with the exclamation point. And they don't want to get sued. This company does not want to get sued by the butter people or the I can't believe it's not butter people. We're telling you right from the jump, it is not butter. Now, you could call it mayonnaise. You could call it ketchup. You can call it ranch dip. You could call it a giraffe. But what you cannot call it is butter. <laughs> Because we're telling you butter, it's not. Oh boy, and there's a lot of those. There's like 12 of those. You could Google butter substitutes and be there all day. Why are there cheap knockoffs? Why are there cheap knockoffs? We're gonna talk today about the chief, cheap knockoff of all time. It is the Antichrist. If you have your Bibles, join us in 1 John. What have I encouraged you to do through the journey of 1 John? I've taught you to read it every week. You guys are doing well. Is anyone doing that, reading it once a week? Let's see the hands, okay? All right, just a spattering of us. Oh, we got the tech booth, the whole tech booth. Yes. Good job, tech booth. They're probably up there reading it right now. <laughs> kind of like you do when you cram before a test. Just teasing, just, just teasing tech booth. I've encouraged you to read 1 John because it's going to be beneficial. It really is. As we go through 1 John, you're going to see a lot just by reading it. You'll get a lot of the concepts and the themes that John is going for. You'll actually see a whole lot. And actually, what's great about reading the Word of God over and over and over is you'll start to memorize passage of scriptures. One of the best ways I memorize scripture is just by reading it over and over. So read 1 John once a week. Let's do that now. We're going to read our passage. It's 1 John 1, sorry, 1 John 2, verses 21 to 25. Follow along as I read. John says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. That's where we're going today. Last week we looked at part one of this lesson, the antidote to the Antichrist. And I've encouraged you along the way to do another thing when you read 1 John is keep it in context. Remember what John has already stated. It will help support what we're learning today. So let's do that. Let's read the verses right before this that we looked at last week and remember what John had just told us. He said this in the verses right before it, starting in verse 18. He said, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. John's going to continue that discourse today, talking about the Antichrist and how we can stand our ground against him. We have a three-point outline today. Number one is knowing the truth. Number two we'll look at is the blatant denial of the truth. And then number three... The reward of abiding in the truth. What's the common denominator here that we're going to learn today? Truth. 
John's going to bring that up over and over and over. We'll start with number one here today, knowing the truth. If you've been in Christianity long enough, you have learned God's truth. And that's what we're doing right now, thankfully. We are opening up the word of God and letting God's truth speak to us. John is going to remind us that we, Christians, Christ followers, can know the truth deeply, intimately. We can know exactly what God has planned for us, for the world, for the kingdom of God in the future. So let's talk about knowing the truth today. He says in 1 John 2, 21, I write to you, and he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to a Christian audience here. We learned that in chapter 1. So John says, I write to you, true child of God. And, and ask yourself that today. Are you a true child of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you understood that you need something outside of you in order for you to have life, forgiveness, hope with God? Hopefully we've understood that by now. We've placed our trust in Jesus Christ for our sins. We've had those sins washed whiter than snow. And John is writing to a Christian audience, and he says, I write to you, children of God, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. He's basically telling them, you Christians, you children of God, know the truth by experience. You've learned the truth. You've walked in the truth. I'm writing to you because you know the truth, not because you don't know the truth. This is not an evangelism talk that John is having. He's writing to Christians, long-time Christians, and he's telling them, you know the truth. You've learned the truth. By this point, you've understood these things that I'm about to reveal to you. The greatest thing about truth is that it flows from one source, doesn't it? Who does it flow from? It flows from God. I don't know exactly where rivers start. Have you ever seen the beginning of a river? But it's got to start somewhere at the top of the mountain, right? where some of the snow is melting and it comes down for this, this is kind of the system we have with truth. Is all truth flows from God. It has to flow from God. There is no truth apart from God. So God's truth comes down the mountain. We're going to call this truth right here, the river. And it flows and it keeps flowing until it gets to the Lord Jesus Christ. All truth comes from God to Christ. This is the river of truth. And if you know truth, it's because you've seen God. It's because you've experienced Jesus Christ. Everything outside of this is lies. Now, just like we talked about cheap knockoffs, anyone can call something truth. Isn't that true? And that's what's happening in our society. People are calling all kinds of things truth because it feels good to them. It makes sense to them and to their perspective. But if it doesn't come from God and flow to Jesus, it's not truth. God has taught us that. All truth comes from the same author, and all truth flows to the same source, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John's going to remind us today that we know truth. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Do you know the truth? Now Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The truth is also a person. When we say we know the truth, we can say we know him who is true. But we can also know everything that flows from Jesus and to Jesus. And John is saying, you know that truth. And John has been doing this this entire time. He's been preparing us for something. He's preparing us for battle. We talked about that last week. And this battle is raging on. This warfare is happening regardless if we want to believe it or if we want to engage in it or not. This battle, this warfare is happening right now amongst us. 
As soon as you leave these doors, this battle will rage on. And John wants to remind us that he is equipping us and preparing us for battle. But this battle is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Therefore, you cannot fight this physical battle, or this spiritual battle, with physical weapons. You need spiritual weapons in order to fight a spiritual battle. And John is going to encourage us by saying today, you know the truth, and the truth was given you for battle. You're going to need your breastplate of righteousness. You're going to need your shoes of readiness. You're going to need the sword of the Spirit. And it's all so that you can engage in this battle. We've all, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, we've all been called to the battle. Now, there is a boot camp process where we have to learn and learn how to train and learn how to use our weapons. But then God calls us to war. He calls us to be soldiers for his army, to advance the name of Christ, advance the kingdom of God, to engage in this battle. And John is doing that today, saying, you know the truth. You have the truth, and the truth is for a purpose. And we find this all over the word of God, that God tells us, and is not coy about it, he's not shy about it, that he has blessed us with all of his blessings. It says that in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We get them all. We get all of God's blessings through Jesus. As long as you believe and as long as you follow Jesus, every one of God's treasures and blessings are for you. But why? Why does God give us his blessings? Well, let's think about this in the illustration of me being a father of eight children. I give my children blessings every day of their life. We feed them. We give them clothing. We protect them. We give them warmth. We give them a place to live. We even give them fun things like toys and candy on occasion. The question, though, is why do we do this? And, of course, the answer is because we love them. We love our children. But what is the purpose for the clothing? It's to wear it. What's the purpose for the food? It's to eat it. What's the purpose for even the fun thing? It's to play with those things. Why has God given us his blessings? Why has God given us his truth? And the very simple but profound answer is to use it. To use it. John, if you keep reading through 3 John, he, he has two more books following this book that John wrote. 2nd and 3 John. If you come to 3 John verse 4, John says this, I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children are walking in the truth. You don't take truth and put it up on a shelf and go, there, I have it. Everyone, come in and see my truth. Look how great it is. Look how great it's displayed. That's not the point of truth. The point of truth is to walk in it. The point of truth is to use it. Let me give you an illustration of this. <laughs> uh, when I was younger, we had this uh, TV show called G.I. Joe. Did anyone remember that TV show, G.I. Joe? Yeah, we watched that growing up. That was a great show. They had this slogan every single time they played G.I. Joe. They would teach you a little thing, and then at the end of it, they would say, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Excuse me. But what's the other half of the battle? If knowing is half the battle, what's the other half of the battle? Applying it, using it, going forward in that truth, taking that truth and applying it to the battle. We have to remember that, that truth is for a reason. It's not just to own it, it's not just to have it. James has taught us this. If you go to the book of James, he says, do not merely listen to the word. It's not wrong to listen to the word. This is a good thing that we're doing today. We're learning the word of God, but this is not the point. This is a means to an end. And what is the end, James tells us? Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's not profound against the devil, against the Antichrist, until we use it. Because you know, even the Antichrist, even the devil knows truth. Did you know that? He knows it. 
He probably knows it better than many of us. He knows the truth, but the difference is between us and them is because we can use the truth and walk in the truth, and he never will. And when we walk in that truth, we can harm the kingdom of the devil. We can harm the kingdom of darkness. But only when we know the truth and only when we take that truth and we use it in battle. So John's telling us today, you know the truth. I'm reminding you of the truth, but this is the point of truth. In fact, Jesus in the, in the Gospels often spoke in these things called parables. If you read through the Gospels, you'll come and encounter these parables many times. And at one time, the disciples decided to ask him, Jesus, why do you speak in all of these parables? Because these parables were sort of hypothetical stories, stories that could have happened but didn't necessarily happen, but they illustrated something about the kingdom. And one time, the disciples decided to ask Jesus, why is it that you speak in parables? In Matthew chapter 13, they said exactly that. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? What's the point of these things? What is the reason Jesus gives to them? It's quite interesting. He said to them, To you, follower of Jesus, to you, child of God, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But to them, those who have no interest in truth, those who have no interest in following Christ, it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given. And I I do that with my children. The one who has, more will be given. And God is a good investor. You have to understand. He gives as an investment. When he sees those using his blessings well, what does a proper investor do? He gives them more. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. So when God sees us taking his truth and taking his blessings, he decides to unload all of those blessings upon us. And we will have an abundance. But to the one who has not, who has no interest in the truth, even what he has will be taken away because that's another part of investing. For those who are squandering your assets and misusing your assets, the best thing you can do is take it from them so they can no longer squander them. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Isn't that interesting? That God spoke to parables, Jesus spoke in parables for two different reasons. One, to further bless his followers, and one, to further confound those who were against him. He said, but blessed are your eyes, disciples, for they see, and your ears, for they hear, because you have an interest in not only knowing, but using my truth. The parables are to unlock the truth of God's word on a deeper, more profound level. That is why I speak in parables. But I also do it to confound those who have no interest in walking. And here's that two-pronged effect. For those who love Jesus, who desire to follow Jesus, he gives them greater enlightenment. Because that's what a good investor does. And God loves us. And when he sees us using his blessings well, he further unlocks his blessings and gives us more and more and more. But for those who have no interest in following Jesus, no interest in knowing the truth or using the truth, the parables have a very different effect. They're sent to confound and confuse. Who is complex like our Lord? Who is more complex than our God, than our Jesus Christ? To give the same parable to the same audience, but for different reasons based on who you are. For those who love Jesus, you will know the truth even further than you did before this parable. For those who are seeking to harm me and to hurt me and to reject me, the parable is sent to confuse you even more. 
And that's a complex thing to think about. <laughs> now, there's humor in the Word of God. Did you know that? I don't think humor is a bad thing because you'll find humor throughout the Word of God. And this is one of the most humorous illustrations that Jesus ever used. He said, Give not which is holy to the dogs, and neither cast your pearls before swine. <laughs> because that's how silly it looks. What does a pig do with a gold diamond necklace? Nothing. He cannot value it. He cannot use it. There's no reason to give to swine what is valuable. And Jesus is not telling us to listen, just don't give out truth to those who are lost. That's not what he's saying. In fact, we should evangelize the lost. But for those who have no interest in hearing the gospel, have no interest in the things of God, Jesus says there is a line that you must draw to no longer give what is best and choicest of truth to those who have no interest in doing that, because even Jesus does that. Even Jesus will eventually pull back and say, you no longer get my truth, because you have no interest in doing that. But for those who do know the truth, for those who do love the truth, God's going to give you everything. Everything. Everything that he calls valuable, everything that comes from heaven, everything that can bless a person on this side and the next. Jesus says, if your heart is aligned with mine, it all goes to you. It says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Now, for those who work in a mint, there are people who are, are making money and printing money, and they deal with the authentic article every day of their lives because they see it roll by their, by their eyes over and over and over and at the beginning, we talked about cheap knockoffs. Who better to notice a cheap knockoff in the money sense than those who deal with a genuine article? For those who work at a mint, don't you think that it's easy to spot a forgery, something that doesn't look right? I think it is. I think for those who work in the mint and see the genuine article and have dealings with the truth, the lie is easy to pick out. Well, who better to notice a lie than those who deal with the truth? every day of their lives. And that's Christians. Or it should be Christians. Those who have the truth, those who experience the truth, those who walk in the truth, who better than to notice a forgery than those who are immersed in the truth of God? And right there is our first application. Do you know God's truth? And I don't just mean academically. And I don't just mean on Sundays and on Wednesdays. I mean, do you know God's truth? Are you immersing yourself in the truth of God? Because that is the one best way to spot the Antichrist. And to spot all those who have harm against God's kingdom is to know the truth of God. The best way to spot the Antichrist, number one, is know God's truth. Know it intimately. Dive deeply into it. If you want to spot the lies around us, and there are many lies propagating all around our society and culture. If you want to know how to stay on track and stay on course, you must know the truth. There are no shortcuts. And many times in my life growing up, I wanted to take a shortcut to truth. I wanted the same kind of thing, like a knockoff. I wanted the same truth, but a much easier way. And God had to teach me a hard lesson saying, Todd, there is no shortcut to my truth. If you want it, you can have it, but you must discipline yourself to know it. And are you, church? Are you disciplining yourself to know God's truth? Or is this the only time you eat spiritually every week? Because that's not going to give you what you need to spot the forgeries out there. Number two, John talks about the blatant denial of the truth. 
In verse 22, he says, who is the liar? Now, he could be talking about the main Antichrist there, or he could talk, be talking about those little Antichrists that we talked about last week, those who are sort of paving the way for the real Antichrist to come, or he could be talking about both, talking about the main Antichrist and the smaller Antichrists. Either way, he says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. He says the liar will deny one thing and one thing primarily, that Jesus is the Messiah. They won't deny that Jesus existed. They won't deny that Jesus has a lot of things to teach us. They won't even deny that he's an important part of religion. But they will deny that he is the Messiah. And that's a very important truth to erode, is it not? If you're an Antichrist. Jesus cannot be the real Christ if you really want to harm the church. Now, if I took you out on one of these beautiful, bright days, kind of like we have today, I think it's pretty sunny out today, and we all went outside and we looked at the sky and just noticed the gorgeous blue sky, and we were all staring at it, and one of us decided to pipe up and say, Man, my goodness, look how pink that sky is today. We'd all would raise our eyebrows and look at you as if something was wrong. <laughs> because you're denying what's obvious. And there would only be two conclusions. Either you're lying and the sky is blue and you just can't confess it. Or number two, there's something wrong with your vision. And you might need to see a doctor. And that's basically what happens when someone cannot understand and cannot confess that Jesus is the Christ. That is not one of those tucked away doctrines, is it? The fact that Jesus is the Christ is not one of those things you learn after 20, 30 years of following Jesus Christ and then you finally graduate and Jesus turns on the light and says, guess what? I'm the Christ. No, you, you learn that initially. That is Christianity 101. Jesus is the Messiah. Because that's the most important truth we could ever understand. That Jesus came down from God, was sent from God to die for our sins, to be our substitute so that we could have eternal life. That's the most important thing you can know. But the Antichrist have to erode that doctrine, deny that doctrine. Because that's the one that can really harm their kingdom. In Matthew 16, Jesus is having this dialogue with his disciples, and he's interested to know what people are saying about him. So he says, what are people saying out there about who I am? And some say, well, P Peter responded by saying, some say you're, you're John the Baptist, others say you're a prophet, like Elijah. And in verse 16, Jesus says to Peter, but who do you say that I am, Peter? Look at Simon Peter's response. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Peter did not know everything at this time. In fact, Peter, I wouldn't even call him mature at this time. He's just learning about Christ and following Jesus every single day of his life. There's a lot that Peter was going to learn. A lot of Peter's mistakes were still coming. But one thing was evident to Peter. Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus had revealed himself to Peter, had shown him his teaching, had shown him his miracles, and Peter's eyes had been opened to the truth to say, you're not just a prophet, Jesus. You're not just a good man. You're not just a rabbi or a good teacher. You are the Christ that came down from heaven, the Son of the living God. Peter owned up to it right away in his early stages of his ministry. You are the Christ. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my Father who was in heaven. Peter, you know the truth. You know the truth. You know who I am. You've seen me. You've been around me. You've experienced my divine nature. And you know that I'm not just a man. I am the God-man, 
sent from heaven to earth to die for your sins and to raise the dead. Now, I'm not a builder, and I've told many of you that. If you're looking for a handyman, my slide did not click over. It did on my screen and not on yours. I was going to show you what looks to be like a foundation. Let's see if I can bump it ahead. Okay, it likes that one and not that one. Okay, that happens from time to time. Well, look at the screen up here. Oh, I, I didn't even mean to do that. All right, that's a good one too. But you can see that one. I was going to show you. I was going to show you. There it goes. Okay. Now, what is that up there? For those who are builders, what, what are we looking at here? Okay. What's what's being built there? Some sort of structure. What's the first thing you do when you build a structure? A foundation. Now, I'm not a builder. I'm not a handyman. But I, I know one thing is clear. You don't just take a house and put it on the grass, right? That's not a good concept. That's not a good blueprint because a house just put on the grass is eventually going to collapse. It's eventually going to be knocked down and slide down a river. Something bad's really going to happen to that house. The first thing you do when you build is you put it deep within the ground, correct? That's what a foundation is. It has to have a root system. It has to be strong, regardless of how beautiful the house is. If it doesn't have that foundation, it can be knocked down. It can be destroyed. So the first thing you do when you build is you build a foundation. Who is our foundation as Christians? In fact, he's right in the word, isn't he? You can't get far in religion, in Christianity, without understanding the foundation of Christianity. If you know religion and you know God's kind of religion, then you must know Christ. And you must know that Jesus is the Christ. Because otherwise you have nothing to build on. We have a lot of religious people in this world who aren't building on the foundation. They're building. They're building for a long time. They're making their religion and their outward religion look very beautiful and very acceptable to God. The problem is, is it has no foundation. And Jesus told it himself and the Sermon on the Mount that when the waves and the winds hit that house, if it's not built upon the rock, what's going to happen to that house? It'll collapse. The first thing we must do is build upon the foundation that can withstand all that comes against it, and that is Christ. And he says in Ephesians 2, Paul speaking, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He is the most important part to the building. If you're going to build, you're going to build it upon Jesus. And if you don't build it upon Jesus, if he's not the Christ, then you have nothing lasting. It won't be long till your structure completely falls to the ground. What I love about Christianity is that it's not a blind faith. And you hear that all the time when, when you're debating with people who don't agree. Is that Christianity is a blind faith. You just have to accept these things without any validation. In fact, that's what they say about science, right? The difference between science and religion is you can take science into a lab and you can study it, you can observe it, and you can come to conclusions. But you can't do that with religion. You can't do that with Christianity. Therefore, it's a blind faith. That's the rationale they say. But is it a blind faith? Is Christianity a blind, blind faith? Well, no, it's not. Because Jesus himself fulfilled over 300 prophecies about himself. If you look at the Old Testament and you did the work to find all the prophecies about the Christ, is you could line them up next to what Jesus actually said and what Jesus actually did, and they will match. Could a common man do anything of the sort? Know the prophecies, understand what they meant, and then fulfill all of them when he came. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. He proved to us that he was the Christ. He's not just a godly man. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a prophet. He's the Messiah that was sent from heaven to save the world. 
one of the most profound things and prophecies that were ever made about Jesus Christ came, around, came out, out of this book called Isaiah chapter 53. The prophet is writing and he says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. That was written well before Jesus was ever born. The Messiah would be pierced. The Christ would be crushed. The Savior would be wounded for our transgressions. And then guess what happened when Jesus came? He was crushed. He was bruised. He was wounded. Not for sins that he had committed, but for our sins. And the Christ did exactly what the the prophecy about the Christ said that he would do. And right there is our authentication that Jesus is not only a godly man, but he is the Christ himself. Paul sought to validate this another way in, in 1 Corinthians 15. We often bring this up around Easter. But Paul wanted to validate to his readers that Jesus is the Christ. And he reminds them of this profound truth. He says, listen, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. If resurrection is impossible, then Jesus never rose from the grave. And if Jesus never rose from the grave, he's dead today and you're following a dead Savior and all of Christianity has no basis or foundation. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If the Christ never raised from the grave, if he's still dead, so is our faith. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Over five Hundred people saw him alive three days after he died. If 500 people came into a courtroom and said the same thing over and over and over, I saw Jesus three days after he died. I saw Jesus three days after he died. I saw Jesus three days after he died. That is a powerful, profound, first-hand witness. And we know that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. We don't have a blind faith. And one of the centurions who put Jesus on the cross recognized this, sadly, a little too late, but gladly before his life expired. The centurion looks up and sees what's happening and comes to this conclusion and says it out loud to those who can hear. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. The Christ has just been crucified. This Messiah came down to earth. We put him on a cross. We killed him. And truly, this was the Son of God. His eyes were open that day. Now maybe some of you have heard this C.S. Lewis quote. At least C.S. Lewis once quoted this idea about Jesus being the Christ versus just a common moral teacher. And I don't know if you can read that. I'm going to read it out loud. C.S. Lewis once said this. He says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said. Because who did Jesus claim to be? Did he claim to be a prophet? Did he claim to be a common godly teacher or rabbi? What did Jesus say about himself? He said he was the Christ. He said he was the Son of God. Imagine someone saying that. C.S. Lewis said, a man who merely said the things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or a, man, a madman or something worse. Jesus did not leave anything else open to us. When someone says the son of, he's the Son of God and he's the Christ, 
he had better validate it. And if he doesn't validate it, should we follow him at all? No, we should do the absolute opposite of that. We should avoid him at all costs. But Jesus validated his ministry every single moment of his life. If you wanted to follow Jesus, you could see all of validation by how he spoke, how he proclaimed the truth, how he did miracle after miracle after miracle before your eyes. And then three days after he died, how he rose from the dead. And John says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? It'd be silly to say Jesus never lived because it's historical fact. The Antichrist is not going to remove Jesus. He's just going to lessen Jesus. That's all he has to do. Just make him less than the Christ. He doesn't have to act like he never existed or that we shouldn't follow his teachings. None of that. He just has to say he's not the Christ and you shouldn't build your whole life upon him. And John says, that's the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Father, excuse me, confesses the Son, has the Father also. Now, as another illustration today, there's my beautiful family, at least part of us. One of us is missing. Uh, little baby Felicity was not yet born, but she's still there in a sense. Um, but there's, our, there's a family of our picture. Now, let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you liked me and loved me, okay? But for some reason, you hated my family. And I hope none of you do. But John is saying, if you hate part of the family and love the other part, the actual conclusion is that you hate us all. And, conversely, if you love my family, which I hope that you do and I know that you do, you also love me because we're one unit. And that's what John is saying. By denying the Christ, denying that Jesus is the Christ, you also deny the Father. And guess what you do? You take all of religion away. By taking Christ away as the foundation, you have removed religion altogether because there is no religion without the foundation. There's no religion without the Christ. You take the Christ away from religion, God goes with him as well. There is no father, there is no religion, there is no Bible, there is no truth. You take the Christ away, everything goes with it. But if you stand upon the Christ and you give your life to the Christ, you get the Father all also. That is what we call a two-for-one. John says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. If you love Jesus, you love God the Father. Because God the Father sent Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you believe in God the Father because God the Father sent Jesus. If you confess Jesus is the Christ, then you confess God the Father because God the Father sent and proclaimed that his Son was the Christ. And John is saying you either get one and therefore you get both or you reject one and therefore you reject them both. Do you notice how everything stands upon this one foundation that Jesus is the Christ. The best way to spot the Antichrist number two is build your life entirely upon Jesus. Don't just speak religiously. Don't just speak generalities. Speak about the Lord Jesus. That's what the world needs to know. The world needs to know that there is a Messiah and a Christ that came to this world to save us from our sins. We need to say his name, we need to say it confidently, we need to say it boldly, we need to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ and there is no other. And that is right how we defeat the Antichrist, is by saying the opposite of what the Antichrist is saying, that Jesus is not the Christ. And we who know the truth say he absolutely is the Christ, the Messiah. And when we do this, we build our lives, we build our church, 
We build our religion upon the chief cornerstone, the one who can hold up the entire structure for the rest of eternity. That the winds will come, the waves will come and beat upon that house. But Jesus promised us himself that house will never go down because it has been founded upon the rock. Number three is we're going to look at the reward of abiding in the truth because John brings this up. In fact, we're going to look more at this next week because he continues to bring out this point of abiding in the truth. He says, let what you heard from the beginning, from the very beginning of your Christian experience, from the very first day you heard the gospel truth. Remember that day? Think back to that day when someone shared with you the gospel and said, you don't have to be in your sins anymore. You don't have to face condemnation anymore because there's a Savior. There's a Christ who came to love you and save you. Remember that day. And then John says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you or remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now, as another illustration, we don't want to demean our Lord Jesus by calling him an ark, but an ark, the ark of Noah, is a representation of what John is telling us today. Now, when Noah made the ark, it took a very long time to make this ark, but he did so before the flood came. He got his whole family in the ark, and they were safe in the ark. But how long were they in the ark? Does anyone remember this from their Bible days? How long were they in the ark? Yeah, about a year. Because the flood came, the flood was upon the earth for many, many days, and then the flood had to reside before they could come out of the ark. So Noah and his family were safe in the ark when the flood came. That's a really cool story. But what would have happened if within that year they stepped out of the safety of the ark? It's very simple, right? They would have perished. They would have died within the waters of the flood because the ark was meant to keep them safe until the day was that they could be removed from the ark in perfect safety. Well, this is a representation of the Christ. We're within the Christ. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ, you're within the Christ. You've trusted in him. You've put your whole life upon him. You're building upon him. And John says, stay. Remain. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. Don't leave. Because the moment you leave, you step back into danger. And that is nothing any of us should ever do. Now imagine if there was a really terrible storm out here today a hurricane, a F5 tornado, and we're safe as long as we're in the building. Let's assume that. We're safe as long as we're here. And the storm goes on for many minutes, and one of us decides to go snap a picture of that storm for Instagram. How cool would that be? To see an F5 tornado up close. That's a really stupid idea. But one of us decides to step out of the safety. Wouldn't all of us reason with the person, implore the person, stay in the building. Stay in the safety of the building. The only way you're safe is within the structure. And John is telling us, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. I'm full of illustrations today, but anyone know who this is? The one in the yellow? Who is it? Usain Bolt. At least several years ago, he was considered the fastest man alive. He won many of the Olympic records, many of the world records, and he had that title, the fastest man alive. Now, I don't know if he still is, but imagine if Usain Bolt was running a race. Most people would have their money upon Usain Bolt because he's the fastest man alive. But even Usain Bolt, if he gets a great head start in a race and steps off that race one inch before the finish line, what does he get? Nothing. He gets nothing. Regardless of how fast you ran, regardless of how well you ran, if you step out before the finish line, you get nothing. 
John is saying, listen, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. John loves his children. John loves his readers. He's trying for them to win this victory, this important, prominent victory. And the way to do that is to remain. And that's exactly what happened with the ark. No one his family did remain in the ark. And eventually it made its way to safety on the Mount Ararat. And they got out and they repopulated the world. And Noah and his family were the beacons of hope and truth for that generation. Because they remained in the ark until God said it's time to leave. One day we will reach our promised land. We will reach eternal life. But we must remain in Christ and his truth must abide in us. Jesus said these things. He said, follow me, which many of us are. But now he's telling us to abide in me. And then he tells us that if you do, when you do, this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. If you abide, if you remain, if you continue in the Christ, if you continue building upon the Christ, you will make it. You will get there. God's Holy Spirit, God's power, God's grace will get you there. Just remain in the Christ. Remain in the safety. Remain in the protection that God gave us. The best way to spot the Antichrist, number three, is abide in the true Christ. And you notice the devil is trying to do that one thing to get you to leave. Regardless of how well you've run, regardless of how long you've been in Christianity, all his efforts towards me are the same thing. Get me to step outside of the safety. Get me to give up. Get me to turn around in the battle. Get me to surrender the allegiance to the Christ because he knows all the dangers outside of the Christ and all the protection is within the Christ. Can the devil get us as long as we're in Christ? Can he at all? Ever? The answer is absolutely no. He has to lure us outside of the Christ. Paul said this, he says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The waves will come against us. They are coming against us, and they will again. The waves will come against the church. They will come against you individually as a Christian. And Paul says, But if you are steadfast and immovable, the waves will hit you, and you will stand firm. Not because of your strength, but because of the one who is holding you up. He's completely undefeated and will be for the rest of eternity. As long as you're immovable and steadfast in that truth, you will never fall down. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Because Charles Spurgeon, much like Paul, faced many trials and many difficulties in his life. And he said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Amen. What better thing than to have our lives built upon Jesus, regardless of how we get there, whether it's prosperity or difficulty. If we're upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we are safe forevermore. And John's telling his readers that. You have to understand something about your saving faith, about your salvation. The devil never let us go. If you remember the story of Pharaoh in the Old Testament with Moses and the children of Israel, the Pharaoh was unwilling to let, his peop- let the people go. And so he, he only did so at the end of the tenth plague after things had gotten so severe. And then even then he changed his mind and he came, came after the people of Israel, did he not? The devil never let us go. If you're sitting here in this room with saving faith, there's only one conclusion. Someone rescued you. In Colossians 1, 13-14, Paul says, He, Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son 
In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Satan did not let us go. Satan would never have done such a thing. He would never let us go no matter how long it takes. In fact, he's trying to get us back. Right now, he's chasing us with the chariots and the horses, saying, I want those people back. And John is saying, stay in the Christ. Stay with the Christ and you're safe. Stay with the one who rescued you. Stay following him. Stay listening to his every word. Stay abiding in him and you will be safe. The devil cannot snatch you. Remember your Savior. Stay in your Savior. And you will have victory in Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is going to victor over the devil and the Antichrists? Do you believe there's ever a chance that Jesus could ever lose the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who created the world, the one who is prophesied to rise from the dead, the one who has told us that I am coming again soon to gather my people with me and bring them to the kingdom of God? As long as we remain, as long as we follow him, there will be victory in Jesus. Now, every one of these lessons, we find something that glorifies God and we find something that benefits our soul. And it's quite simple in this lesson today. God gets the glory when we stand up and defeat the Antichrists. And that's what John is trying to get us to do, to take our truth and apply it and advance and go forward in this battle. Because when we get victory and we will against the Antichrists of this world, God will get the glory because there's not one of us in this room who's going to get to heaven and pat ourselves on our back, will we? When we get to heaven, and we will when we follow Jesus Christ, who will we direct all the glory to? We will direct all the glory to our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that victory that we secure will be because of his great name, and God will be glorified. But we will also be benefited. When we get the victory against the Antichrist, and we stand in victory with Jesus Christ one day on that hill when there's only one team left, and it's Jesus and those who followed him, and we're standing there with Jesus, we will be benefited forevermore. And God is once again saying, glorify me, and I will benefit you. Live my truth, follow my truth, and I will benefit your soul. Our application today is very simple. Know the truth and abide in the truth. I hope you know the truth. I believe you do know the truth. I believe most of us here know the truth and understand the gospel, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. But knowing is half the battle. What is the rest of the battle? Abiding in the truth. Remaining in the truth. Continuing the truth. Advancing in the truth. Keep going forward, forward, forward in the truth. Number two, let us build on. Stay near and obey the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the only safety this world has. And you have to better believe we need safety in this world that we live in. Everything around us is trying to get us. Everything, our mind, our heart, our bodies, everything is coming against us. We need safe haven. And that has always been Jesus. It'll always be Jesus for the rest of eternity. Let us remain and stay near him forevermore. Number three, we've been called to battle, have we not? And this battle is raging on, and this battle is the most vicious, cruel battle that's ever existed. And John has been telling us we have to go forward in this battle. We have to win this battle. We have to fight. We have to soldier on. We cannot quit. We cannot give up. We cannot turn around. We have to fight or die. We have to win or die. We have to go forward in this battle. But how do we do it? We take God's truth, and we advance it in love. Now, the devil's doing something quite interesting now. He's making two teams. You got Team Truth, and you got Team Love. And he's making us pick one. You could be on Team Truth, 
but you'll be against team love. And you can be on team love, but you'll be against team truth. And he's trying to get even the Christians to pick a side, truth or love. And John says, no, 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 no. Truth in love. Advance the truth. Go forward in the truth. Proclaim the truth, but always do it in love because that is the one weaponry that the devil cannot thwart. He can confuse us. He can trip us up. He can get us to believe lies unless we're following the truth. He can get us to be severe and angry and malicious and slandering unless we're following the one who is love. And if we follow Jesus Christ, the recipe has always been and will always be until the final day, truth in love, truth in love, truth in love. Don't let go of truth to get love and don't let go of love to get truth. Hold them on dearly, tightly for the rest of your life because you need both. They're a team and Jesus says that is how we victor over the Antichrists. And if you do, and when we do, Jesus will win. It's been prophesied. It's been guaranteed. And the last question for us today is, which team are we on? Are we on Team Jesus? Or are we with the Antichrists? And that's the only two teams. On the Christ, following him, truth and love, or against him. And Jesus gave this promise to Peter. He says, Peter... Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Because it may, may seem sometimes that we're on the defense, right? The devil's coming after us and we're, we're putting up our dukes and resisting him. We're putting up the shield and resisting his darts. But then Jesus kind of flips the script and says, no, on the contrary. Look around this room today. All of you used to be part of the kingdom of darkness, myself included. And the gospel and the church came in like a battering ram into the gates of hell and smashed the door open and ripped us from it, Jesus himself. And now we're all here, abiding in the truth, walking in the truth, following Jesus Christ. How is that possible? It's because this is true. And it's because this is real. And it's because if we follow this till the end, we will stand forevermore. If you're alive today, that is your guarantee that this is true. Because you no longer love lies, you love the truth. You no longer walk in error, you walk in the truth. You no longer hate your neighbor, you're seeking to just love your neighbor. And right now, you're standing on Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Because he's right. Because he's true. And because he is the captain of the only army that will ever win this battle. John's going to keep talking to us about the Antichrist. He's going to tell us more and more to continue to abide in this truth. And I pray and hope that you'd be blessed. And I pray and hope that you'd set Jesus as your vision this week, today, for the rest of your life, because that is the only way we can win this battle against the Antichrists. Let's bow and pray. Father, there's much more to be said on this topic, but thank you for teaching us today about the truth, reminding us of the truth, reminding us of who is the truth, reminding us of how we stand upon that truth, reminding us how we even advance with that truth. Help us remember it. it's always been Jesus. No matter what the world tells us, no matter what the trickeries are out there, let us remember that it's always Jesus and always will be Jesus. And let us advance the truth and love this week because Littleton and the surrounding towns need to hear the gospel. They need to see the love of Christ, and they can only do that the way Jesus taught us. We are your soldiers, and we will win with you, and we thank you and praise you for that fact. It's in Jesus' name we pray.